You're listening to the Art of Parenting podcast. I'm your host, Jeanne-Marie Penel. My intention is to share with you simple tips and tricks that will make a huge difference in your home, as well as giving you all the support and encouragement you deserve to enhance your parenting experience. I've created this safe place for us to explore the issues and concerns that matter to you bringing you clarity and solutions with Q&A sessions and inspirational conversation with world-renowned experts in a variety of fields. I'm a firm believer that parenting was never meant to be done alone, and I'm here to debunk the general consensus that it has to be hard. A warm welcome to you, and thanks for tuning in. And welcome back to The Art of Parenting. This is Jeanne-Marie Pennell, and today I am thrilled to have Tasha Shore with me. She is the co-author of the book, Listen, Five Simple Tools to Meet Your Everyday Parenting Challenges. Her specialty has been in helping parents raise boys. She has three boys of her own. And we had had, we've really had a delightful conversation. One which was about, um, you know, what boys need from us. And this is for me, really an important, uh, you know, episode, especially if you are parents of young boys, uh, because it's true, you know, we need to parent them in such a way that we can really give them space to voice their emotions. Um, we are, you know, oftentimes in a society where boys, you know, shouldn't show emotions, but hey, that's how we develop our emotional intelligence. So that to me was just a delightful conversation to to be had. And then she also shared what those simple tools are, those five simple tools. So we kind of dive deep into all five of those. And um, thank you for listening and enjoy this interview with Tasha Shore. Tasha Shore, welcome to The Art of Parenting. And thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for inviting me on. Well, first, I would love to ask a question that I ask all of my guests, and is how would you define the art of parenting? I would define the art of parenting as a balance of caring for yourself, connecting with your kids on a real deep level, maintaining that correct connection. Um, knowing how and consistently setting limits lovingly and just being able to really play wildly with your kids. Oh, I love that. The playing wildly. It's so important. I think we, we lose sense of that, right? We think that it's just them playing and we don't play with them. So wonderful. Right. And we take our job so seriously. So seriously. And yet they, all they want is us to play with them and, and just have fun. So wonderful. Uh, so, so before we get a little too involved in our conversation, I would love for you to share with our listeners a little bit more about yourself and just how you came to do the work that you do today. Absolutely. So I, first and foremost, am a parent of three boys who are now at the time of recording um, 12, 14 and 17. So they're bigger now. And I've been doing this work for, you know, way over a decade, probably close to a decade and a half. And I got into it because I was struggling. I was having a really hard time. 
and I happened upon, not exactly happened upon, I asked for help and was led uh, towards um, a support group that Patty Whipfler, the founder of Hand in Hand Parenting, was leading. Now, by some strike of luck, it was literally 15 minutes from my house where I was living. So on this entire planet, here she was right by me. And she was already running the support group that met every other week. And I called her and said, can I join? And she said, yes. And so I joined. And what happened in there really changed my life because I went from feeling alone and ashamed and frustrated and like, this isn't what I thought it was going to be and not sleeping and having lots of sibling rivalry and all these things to really loving parenting and feeling so inspired by the change that I was able to create in my own family that I wanted to help others learn to do the same. That is beautiful. And, and it feels very similar to what I've experienced when we, when we discover tools that help us enjoy this journey, then we just want to share it with everybody else because it's true. It's meant to be enjoyed, right? Absolutely it is. And mm-hmm. and not everybody's ready for them. It's so interesting because we get so almost like overexcited about sharing. And I, I now, uh, one, one of my hats is training parents to be certified in hand-in-hand parenting. And, and I'm often having to sort of pamper their excitement in the sense that, I have to tell them, you know, people people will come when they're ready. We're not about convincing anybody about anything, and but but they're so excited because they've seen this amazing transformation in their families. They just can't wait to share everything they know with everyone they meet. And that's funny you say that because I kind of learned the hard way about giving only giving advice when asked for it, you know, because you are so enthusiastic about, about the tools that you're discovering and that this is going to be amazing. But people, if people aren't ready to hear them or are not open to new ways, um, you can bump up against a wall. So yes, so true. So true. So tell me a little bit uh, about how you were raised and how that might have also influenced maybe the work that you're doing today. Oh, interesting. I was just writing about this yesterday, actually. Um, So I was raised in Oakland, California in the 70s, and it was a really exciting time to be um, growing up there. And there were, you know, there was a lot going on both politically, kind of, you know, on the liberal political end of things, lots of exciting things happening. And then also um, there was, you know, the feminist movement was in full bloom. So there was lots of feeling like I could do anything and be anything that I wanted to be. And I felt like the world was women. I lived with my mom and another woman, um, you know, they weren't in, uh, they weren't a couple, but we were definitely a family and I called her my other mother. And my, my world was very female centered and it was interesting because yeah, there were men, they came and went and whatnot, but there was a subtext to the conversation actually, um, to the, just the general narrative of the time and place that I was living, that men were the problem and men were bad. And when I was pregnant with my first one, I distinctly remember being on the couch and all of a sudden having this thought and having to get up and call my mom. And I was like, mom, mom, what's wrong? And I'm like, what if it's a boy? And she was just quiet on the other end. There was just silence. 
And then, you know, through sort of what I interpreted to be, gosh, you know, hmm, I hadn't really thought about that or God, I don't know what we're going to do. She said, don't worry, we'll figure it out. Sticks to me. So, and that, you know, I think that very much leads to why I do so much work with parents of young boys, you know, having moved from this feminist place, well, not moved from it, I'm still there, but having to reconcile what it means to be a feminist and pro woman and also raise men who I love like to the moon and back. Right, right. And so tell us a little bit about what you feel is the difference. Well, I mean, you have three boys, so you wouldn't know what it is to raise a daughter, but what are kind of the, the, the revelations that you have had around raising or parenting just boys? What, what do you think are, are, are the big differences that come up? Mostly the differences that come up are how the world treats boys. And, and the biggest problem, as I see it, is that we do not make space for their emotional development and then we blame them for not having emotional intelligence. So it's like a double-ended, you know, double-edged sword. And so I've been really intentional in my work about teaching parents of young boys the importance of creating safe space for their boys to feel because that, in fact, is how they grow into emotionally intelligent men and maintain connected to their feelings and their ability to share them. Um, and, and so it's actually not that complicated, but that, that's, that's really the main thing. Um, and there's just a, there's really an intolerance for, for, for boys feeling. I mean, I, I, not that long ago I had, you know, one of my boys was playing soccer and he got cleated in the neck, like, you know, cleats, soccer cleats in the neck. Now that hurts. I don't know about you, but I would definitely cry. Yes, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> well, he got cleated in the neck and started crying and his coach threatened him that if he didn't stop and get it together, that he wouldn't be able to play the next game. <gasps> oh my goodness. And, yes. And this happens all the time. And the, and the coach was, you know, a very sweet man. I mean, it's, it's not, he was doing the best he could. And and he, di- he didn't know any better. And, and truthfully, he was likely trying to protect my son from the repercussions of other players and parents seeing him in this state, because I'm sure he had been shamed for showing feelings. But in right. any case, um, what I've learned is that I really have to advocate for my boy's right to feel. And that's what I teach other parents, or one of the things that I teach other parents of young boys to do. That is that is wonderful. And it's true. You know, when when you were saying when you were talking, I was hearing like, oh, don't be a sissy or don't be a girl or, or you know, all, all of that, which is just terrible. <laughs> just terrible. I have I have a daughter and a son. So I have kind of the two and, and I feel like I've pretty much raised the to the same way. Um, and I do have, I think, a pretty sensitive young man. He actually, he's actually 19 today. Um, oh, yeah. and, uh, and, but it's true. I mean, it, it can be so hard for us being with boys where we have this sense of, you know, you need to be tough when that's so absurd. So thank you for that work. And and it sounds like you have probably a lot of work to do with maybe the in the athletic department. Like that is something that we, we want to toughen up our boys when they're playing sports at a very young age. 
Absolutely. And, you know, I myself am very competitive and I don't think competition is innately bad. Uh, I don't come from that camp at all, but I think we need to be really thoughtful about when we start thinking that it might make sense to hold back. And when we do that, we have to create other space for them to be able to feel. I mean, you and I, we can call our therapist, right? Or a parent coach or cry to a friend that we call up, right? We don't just every time something happens that, um, you know, that, that hurts or, or either emotionally or physically, you know, crumble to the floor, but we have fully developed brains, right? So while that's going on for, you know, 25 years or whatever, <laughs> we really need to be our, our boy's best advocate and that place where he can show his feelings and know that we're going to protect that for him. And how would you suggest to our listeners who probably have maybe younger boys, um, and, and, and I think girls as well, I mean, I like to, to put the children all together, but how do you create that space at home for them to have, to feel safe, to really be able to express all emotions? Well, I say the best place to start is by working on our own histories and hurts and stories that we carry with us from our childhood. I mean, I only went a little bit into mine, but I could I could share a little bit more and give an example. So um, I remember that I grew up with my mom and, and she didn't set many limits. Like I didn't really have many limits at all. And there's part of me that has some anger and upset about that still. I feel like... Um, if she had set more limits that I would have been able to go further in life. Interesting. There were things that I didn't pursue because fear came up for me and she listened to what I said. No, I don't want to do this anymore. And so I'd quit. Uh Um, Recognize the fear. Now she did the best she, she could. And I'm not, you know, I don't mean to blame her or anything like that. My point is that that's a story that I carry with me. That's hurt that I carry with me. And so in parenting my own kids, I want to be conscious of that so that I can make a decision. You know, how do I want to set limits? When do I want to set limits? And one thing that I feel really passionate about is not letting my kids and not letting my clients and the people in my communities, um, you know, let their kids sort of fall back in whatever realm we're talking about, whether it's, you know, academic or school or friendship or whatever, because they're scared. So I feel really passionate about teaching parents how we can differentiate between noticing when a child really doesn't want to do something and when when they're scared. And they do want to do it, but fear is getting in the way of them becoming the best person they could possibly be. So starting with ourselves. Okay. And so how would, um, and, and, and I feel, you know, when you say starting with ourselves, I think that that just is so much part of our parenting journey is that our, our children are kind of putting up a mirror to us and we have to, uh, deal with what's coming up, uh, oftentimes. But one thing that's interesting to me that you, that you said is this, um, this lack of limits that, sounds like that equates to fear or I don't know. I don't know if I'm understanding that properly as to how you're saying to be vigilant about, you know, the, the, the fear and setting limits. How how can, can you explain that a little bit better? Absolutely. 
So may, maybe a story would help. So okay. I'll share one uh, with my uh, with my oldest son. Now he's been a passionate baseball player from like the second he was born. I, I like I don't even know if there's a photo of him without a baseball in his hand. I mean he's always with baseball, and he's 17 now, and it's never never passed. <laughs> so it's it's very much a passion of his, and that's been clear for a million years, his whole life. Um, so once when he was, I, I think it was about, I don't know, five, six, seven, maybe it was seven, he had little league tryouts. So, you know, a month before that, it was like, oh, did you sign me up for little league yet? Did you sign me up? Did you sign me up? I really want to be on the Yankees. Did you sign me up? Did you sign me up? And I'm like, yeah, I signed you up for little league. Um, awesome. And then came the day, um, or, or not the day, but let's say, I think it was maybe like a week before, uh, where I announced to him that we tryouts were in a week. So when I said, okay, tryouts are in a week and mind you tryouts at that age meant we as coaches want to make sure the teams are even so that it's fun for everyone to play. It wasn't like we're going to cut anybody from the teams. Everybody would be placed on a team, but they wanted them to be even, not like one team dominating another because that's not fun for little kids. So right. it was very thoughtful how they were doing it. But when I told him we had tryouts, he's like, I'm not going. I don't, I don't want to play baseball anymore. Huh. And I was like, hmm, this is interesting. Tell me more, you know? So he's like, I, I, I don't want to play baseball anymore. And I said, well, you know, we're, we're going to play baseball. You had asked to play baseball and, and tryouts for this week. And, you know, he just burst into tears. I'm not playing, you know, I didn't even want to play. You made me do it. You know, all of these things that weren't true, um, but were how he was feeling were true feelings for him. And so as a parent, I then needed to make a decision, right? Did I listen to what he was saying? No, I don't want to do baseball anymore. I don't, I don't want to play. You made me do it. You know, I, I don't want to go. Or did I recognize that, hmm, this is a really interesting scenario. I mean, he's been playing baseball his whole life. He's every spare moment that he's not doing something else. He's playing baseball. He begged me to register him for baseball. And now when it's time for tryouts, he doesn't want to go. And I was able to recognize that that was fear. And so by moving in and using a tool in Patty and my book called stay listening. I held that limit that, you know, he needed in fact to go to tryouts. So, you know, I said, we, we are going to go to tryouts, sweetie. And he had huge tantrums about it. Huge. Like every day, I did this every day, all the way up until every day crying and crying and I'm not going and I hate you and you made me do this and all of these things. And I would just listen, stay listening just means really staying close and listening and not trying to fix it and not trying to, you know, quote unquote, make him feel better. And this is, by the way, why our own work is so important, because not everybody can listen to a wailing child who doesn't want to go to a baseball tryout that he's been begging you to sign him up for. <laughs> right. So that's where our work comes into play. But that's actually where the healing happens. So I did this all the way up to the morning of, and then the morning of, I um, got him up super, super early and essentially set limits and stay listened all the way through um, every little step that needed to happen that morning. You know, time to get your uniform on. I'm not going, I'm not getting my uniform on. You know, then he'd get his uniform on. And it was like each thing. And I knew it would be a big bite and lots of feelings the whole way. But as long as he was crying and sweating and shaking, 
I knew that he was, he was like getting rid of all that emotional gunk in his system and that he was starting to feel better and that things would look brighter on the other side. And in fact, you know, I'll fast forward. I won't go through the whole story, but essentially um, he, you know, I helped him all the way through. He went to tryouts. Um, he and I were walking back to the car after tryouts and he just looked at me and said, I hope I get to be on the Yankees. Oh, I was going to ask, I was going to ask if he was like, if, if with time he was aware and, and recognized that, you know, you kind of ushering him to that tryout was important for him. I don't, I mean now, but at that point, no, but I don't see, I I know I'm of the thought that that doesn't matter. Like I'm not like the sort of the, the self, awareness and regulation and all of that at those young ages, I really feel like it's our job as parents to be the guide and to notice what they need and to move in and make it happen. And, you know, I didn't talk to him about that afterwards. I understood what happened. He didn't need to understand under whatever, understand mm-hmm. what happened. Right. Right. <laughs> it's yeah. like, he was fun to play baseball and that's great. And he, and I advocated for him and I protected his right to be able to feel all the way through the parking lot, all the way through the sign up line. I mean, we have his baseball picture still from that year and his eyes are bright red and puffy. Oh, well, that's, you know, I commend you for, for, just being able to be aware of what he was going through. And that, that I think is, is like you say, you know, the work on ourselves is so important because I don't know, you know, listening to your story, I don't know if I would have known that this was, you know, something that he needed to work through. I would have maybe said, okay, well, maybe this isn't for you, but you know, I think, I think we know intuitively like, wait a minute, uh, he's been wanting this for a long time. So this is just uh, the, the fear or the anxiety coming up. So right, but it story. does take awareness. Thank you. I mean, it does take awareness. And that's mm-hmm. what I, I work with parents to be able to um, raise their awareness and allow them to see what's going on rather than to just hear words. Right. So you mentioned one thing, uh, stay listening, which I know is one of your tools in the book, uh, Listen, that you co-authored with Patty Whiffler. And I would love if you could just mention the the five simple tools that you say are to meet our everyday parenting challenges. Absolutely. So there is uh, a tool called listening partnerships, which is essentially a tool. It's almost like you're stay listening with another adult, essentially. So okay. you're creating a safe space where we would have a partnership and I would listen to you for a select period of time. And then you would listen to me. And that's, it's not active listening. People sometimes confuse it with active listening, but it's not active in the sense that you're not saying anything or reflecting back. Um, really what it is, is, creating the same safe space that we want to create for our kids, but for each other. So I'm just pouring in my love. I'm, I'm trusting in your intelligence. I'm not trying to fix whatever your upset is. I'm not giving you suggestions for what you might do. Um, I'm not trying to make you, you know, stop feeling, stop feeling badly or anything like that. And I'm for sure not judging you for any of your actions that you've, you know, taken as a parent or, or a person, I'm understanding that you've always been doing the best that you could and still are at this moment. So it's a very safe space that we create a relationship that relationships that develop over time and are really life altering. So that's really that piece about 
caring for yourself. So that's one. Okay. Another tool is called special time and special time is a special kind of a one-on-one time between a loving adult and a child. And the most important thing about it is that the child leads. So we name it, we call it special time, but people can call it whatever they want. We set a timer. So it's timed. And we basically say, Hey, I've got, you know, 15 minutes, we can do whatever you want. And then the parent's job is just the same as it is like in a listening partnership, really. It's to be pleased and to pour in love and to be curious, but not to guide the play or the connection. We really let the child lead. So it's a window into their world. And it's also really filling their cup of connection, which is going to allow them to, um, let's see, how, what's a good way to say it? It's going to allow them to to sort of make it longer without melting down, if you will. In other words, it's just that much fuller. They know you've got your, you know, they know you've got their back, so to speak. So just Um, a a question. Mm -hmm. Sorry, a question on the special time. I know that uh, like in Positive Discipline, Jane Nelson's book, she talks about special time, but it's something that has been kind of put on the calendar and it sounds like this is more about just making time whenever you have it and to just let the child know, hey, let's do something special. Is, is that, am I understanding that correctly? Um, no, actually, when I'm, you know, I use it um, as a prescription, actually, when I'm working with ah, them. Okay. So we, depending on what parents are working on, if a child's in something that feels like a big crisis or a huge emotional project that we're working on, then I might be suggesting that a parent does it, you know, every day for 10 days, and then let's see what shifts we see along with, you know, incorporating the other tools at the same time. So um, it, it is both, it can be a proactive tool, and then also a reactive tool. In other words, it's something that we can use when a child's behavior is off. And we're feeling like, oh, my God, you know, what is wrong with this child? What's happening is that, you know, children function well when they are feeling connected to a loving adult. Right. When their behaviors are off track, their limbic system is essentially sensing danger. It's gone and and their prefrontal cortex, which is really the seat of every behavior that we like, we call good behavior, that goes offline and they're really just running on emotion. And so the goal, whenever our children are off track, regardless of what that looks like, is to reconnect with them. That step of reconnection will allow then other shifts and behaviors, but you can't skip it. So you can use special time in the heat of the moment in that in that way. That's also a way that we teach it. But often okay. it's on the calendar. And the cool thing about that is that the kids learn about it and they know what it is and they can plan for it. Think about all the things that they might want to do when they can do whatever they want. Right, right. And it's and it's also when they are having a hard time, you can remind them like we we, we have a special time planned or, or things like that. So right. and it's not so much in the heat of the moment, we'd say we have it planned. I mean, when I say like use it in the moment, I mean, like right then, like, like my kid is, um, you know, we're at dinner table and he is like having a fit because there's sauce on the pasta. And he doesn't want sauce on his pasta. And there isn't any other spaghetti left. And there's sauce on all the pasta. That's what there is. And he's having a you know big meltdown about it. Okay. Um, so I can offer him special time. You know, I can say, hey, sweetie, 
I can see it's hard. You want to take five minutes of special time and then we'll come back and eat. And then we can just walk away from the table and like connect for five minutes and have him lead and do whatever he wants. And that might just be crying about how he hates spaghetti with sauce on it, which is totally fine because that's the healing. That's what's going to be able to bring him around to be, you know, bring his prefrontal cortex back online and be able to connect with me again. So then we can go back to the table and he can eat the pasta with the sauce. And I see it over and over again. Beautiful, beautiful, and a lot of patience. Absolutely, which is why yes. they're working on ourselves. But, but really, exactly. I mean, we have to if we're going to parent positively. I mean, if we're going to use positive discipline or be a peaceful parent or all of these you know terms that we throw around, then we really have to talk about what it looks like on the ground. It's you know they're not just pretty words on a website. It's like parents are struggling with these real issues in their houses right their kids are are trying to hit them not because they want to hit them but like they're you know hitting when they're upset or they're showing all sorts of aggressive behaviors or there's sibling rivalry or they're not sleeping through the night and the parent is sleep deprived i mean these are real issues that we have to get in there you know kind of down and dirty and help them with yes no and it's it's just you know everything that you're saying is just so important about how that that piece of, of, you know, self-care and being able to, to make sure that our cup is full too, so that we can be there and show up with our, for our children, you know, 100%, because in those moments, if we are sleep deprived or, you know, have had a difficult time or we're not taking good care of ourselves, that might not look and and sound as pleasant as what you just described of being able to just peacefully step away from the situation, reconnect, be there for them, and then, you know, move on. Absolutely. Yeah. So what are the, the, the three other ones? So you mentioned uh, listening partnerships, special time. What are the other ones? Right. So stay listening with, which I alluded to, or talked a little bit about earlier where we, you know, move in and actually listen to those feelings. So that, an ex- that example that I just gave with the spaghetti. So rather than try to quiet him or, or say like, you know, okay, well, you know, I, um, you know, let me hang on. Let me see what else there is. And, you know, you sort of freaked out and try to give him like 10 other choices about what he could have instead. And it doesn't matter because everything you offer him, he's still upset. Um, so uh, stay listening is actually just being there with his feelings and letting them, letting them come out so that he can think well again. Because as we listen, they gr- their intelligence grows. They're actually able to think clearly once they offload the upset. So that would be right. right, as opposed to trying to fix it and saying, oh, don't be so silly or or things like that. That's what right. I or, mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. or trying to convince them that they should be they should be feeling differently, right? Like, right. oh, right. No, that's not a big deal or that's nothing to be sad about or upset about. That happens all the time. That happened to me, you know, just blow it off or whatever, whatever, all the things that we do. So right. that's listening and that's like the meat of where the healing really happens like i've mentioned several times um and then we have setting limits which is my all-time favorite i definitely consider myself like the superhero of limit setting because i feel like we can solve just about 99 percent of our struggles in our families by limit setting once we learn how to do it well um and essentially it's just a way of doing it lovingly so bringing a limit 
and um, listening to the upset that comes as a result because we can we get to decide the limits as a parent you know as parents but we absolutely have no control over how our children feel about those limits that we set so again then we make space we decide like you know with the baseball example i decided what what that limit was and that limit was you know no sweetie we're gonna go to baseball tryouts that was my limit that i decided it was in line with my values it made sense in, in you know in light of the situation and and who he was and who he wanted to be and what fear was coming up and so then i just would state my limit really simply but i didn't try to convince him that he should like my limit that would have been right. right so instead i listened right. so bringing limits uh-huh no and and i was going to say just if you could speak also to the fact that limits uh, to me, and this is, you know, what I tell the parents I work with is that every home is going to be different. Like every, every family unit has different values, different, uh, different limits and that it's okay to, to set them. I feel like there's kind of this fear around, um, putting boundaries or putting limits. And, and I would love for you to just touch on why it is so important for children to have limits. Yeah, well, one of the reasons that it's important for children to have limits is that it helps them feel safe. They are looking up to us to be the leaders of the family to keep them safe and to keep them loved, essentially. And when a child's behavior is off, it's generally a sign that they're flailing out on their own in their heads somewhere. They're not feeling connected, which generally means they're not feeling safe. And so bringing that connection reels them back in. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally, totally. I mean, and, and I, I get it, but I just want it from your, your perspective of, uh, because yeah. that's something, you know, that I think that's something that parents sometimes have a hard time where they want to be, you know, this loving, kind parent that just easygoing and all of this. But for me, I know that it's it, it does a disservice to the child when there is no limits, when they don't know like their their boundaries it's it's overwhelming it's like you say they they're looking to us to to know what are the boundaries and and kind of that safety net really yeah and i hear a lot about respect right parents will say but you know i want to respect my child's wishes they're telling me this and we're so language based it's really interesting actually um you know and i think to myself okay well if your child was saying you know I'm, I want to run out. I want to run across the street to that candy store. And there was like a busy street. Would you listen to what they said? No, you would hold on tight. So they didn't run out into the street. Like there's, there, there are a lot of things to consider when we're setting limits, you know, and we're, when we're deciding whether or not we want to set a limit. Um, It's not always in our child's best interest for us to listen to what they say. There's a lot going on in their actions and their behaviors. And if they're stuck in a certain behavior that isn't changing, then that is very likely a sign that they need help getting out of that rigid behavior pattern. And limits are just a beautiful way to be able to do that. Beautiful. Yes. And then I oh, know can, there I is... one, can I say one more thing? Sure, sure, sure. Sorry. I, just, I was just thinking what you were saying before about values and how it can be different. They can be different in different families. Like, I just want to appreciate that you said that because 
I, I feel that very strongly. There's no one right way to do this parenting thing. You know, some parents put their kids to sleep early. That's a value for them. They need their time in the evening, either for themselves or to be with a partner. And, and they're not going to give that up. And that is absolutely okay. There are families where the kids, you know, don't have bedtimes. Everyone, you know, stays up until they go to bed and they go to bed. You know, their families with kids in their own rooms, their families with family beds, their families who don't eat any sugar and their families that have like candy drawers in the kitchen. And all that's fine. You get to decide, you know, what values you have as a family. You're the leader, but then you get to enforce whatever limits make sense in the context, you know, within the context of those values. Thank you for that. That is that is very important to all our listeners, I think, because I think we're we're often parents are second guessing themselves and and playing way too much the comparison game of you know uh, seeing how others are doing it and think that they have to do it the same way. So beautifully yeah. said. Thank you. Yeah, and I know there's there's one more. You have uh, something called play listening. Yep. Yeah, it's a tool called play listening. That's probably the most complicated one to learn. I mean, complicated isn't the right word because it's not that hard, but um, sometimes sometimes parents find it a little bit harder to grasp, although it depends because some parents are great at play. And so, you know, a lot of this depends again on our history and how we were played with and if we were played with when we were a child. Um, but essentially what play listening is, is harnessing the power of laughter to heal from hurts and upsets. That's all it is. So it's- oh, I love that. Yeah, so it's just chasing the laughter essentially, um, and without overpowering the child. So mm-hmm. it's bit, you know it's nuanced and and there's a chapter on it in the book, and I can give you a link to that when you know to share with people if you want. Um, but if they want to know, it's worth reading that chapter. And the book, by the way, is written so you don't have to read it cover to cover because what parent has time to read a book cover to cover? <laughs> exactly. And no, I, I will have a link of the book in, in the show notes as well. But uh, And it's true, you know, when you when you say laughter, I mean, it's it's laughter is so healing, just like crying for me. You know, sometimes you just need a good cry, but laughter is just so beautiful in 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 just that joy that kind of comes out of it. And, and, you know, sometimes I always tell parents, it's like, you know, use humor. Like, don't, this is, doesn't have to be so serious. Like have fun with it. You know, even if it's, even if it's a challenging moment, like, you know, put some humor into it. So. For sure. I mean, laughter, just think about the last time you had a big deep belly laugh with a friend or a partner. I mean, how close you felt to that person afterwards. It definitely brings closeness. And and laughter also really heals lighter fears. So you think about when we're nervous, we laugh. That's true. Right. That's not a coincidence, right? We laugh because we're releasing fears, discomfort. And mm-hmm. we, can, we can use this tool to help our kids do the same. Beautiful. Beautiful. So there, I have, I have, I could go on and, and I have plenty more questions, but just in the essence of time, um, I think I will wrap it up here unless you have something you want to add. But my, my, my last question is really about, um, for you, it's more of a personal question. And it, that is that if you were to go back, so you said that your eldest was 17 if you were go, to go back and give yourself advice as you were expecting your first child, what that what might that sound like? Mm, as I was expecting my first child, 
what you mentioned you mentioned something you know earlier about that that fear of oh my gosh I'm gonna what if it's a boy but just right. more on a now that you know so much and you've worked with so many parents and you've you know you've you've kind of worked in this whole parenting realm like what would you go back and tell that young expecting woman to to be able to be better prepared maybe for the parenting journey I would tell her that it's going to be messy and it's going to be loud and it's not going to look like it does in the books and that that's perfectly okay and that it's a wonderful thing to reach out for support and that we do much better in community um, and to trust that I'm going to make the best decisions that I can make in any given moment. Yes. And so true. The, the piece about it, you know, reaching out for community. I think we've, we've unfortunately are parenting in isolation more and more these days, you know, that whole concept of the village has kind of dissipated and it sounds like you found your village with uh, hand in hand. So that's wonderful. Yes, that is that is one of, one of my many villages. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, wonderful. Um, what is one thing that you would like our listeners to take away from this? If there's one last thing that you would like to say, if you were going to take one thing away from this, I would say listen to your child's feelings. Just listen. Don't talk so much and just listen in whatever situation it is, a good one, a challenging one, just practice listening. So, so important. Well, thank you so much, uh, Tasha. This has been wonderful. And how can our listeners uh, learn more about the work that you're doing and just follow, follow up with you? Yeah, so they can either go to my website at TashaShore.com or find me on Facebook at Tasha Shore, your partner in parenting boys. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, it has been a true pleasure having this conversation with you and uh, I hope to have you back soon. Thank you and thanks again so much for inviting me on. All righty. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Art of Parenting. And if you did, please make sure to share it with your loved ones. I'd also be grateful for a review on iTunes so it can get heard by many more. And remember, if you've got a question, let me know. I'm here for you. Till next time.